Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The Hollywood machine has been ground to a halt. The Screen Actors Guild, that's the union representing more than 160,000 actors, went on strike last week, joining 11,000 of their writing colleagues. The Writers Guild has been on strike since May. Now, the massive dual strike essentially brings TV and film production to a standstill. And this isn't the first time in Hollywood history either. The last time Tinseltown found itself in a moment like this It was back when Ronald Reagan was president of the Screen Actors Union, not, you know, America. So how did we get here? With labor strikes happening across industries, was the Hollywood shutdown inevitable? Or are different issues at play? For answers, we're turning to Maureen Ryan. She's a contributing editor at Vanity Fair and the author of the new book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood. Maureen, welcome to Reset. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Before we get started, I do want to give a disclaimer that I and many of my WBEZ colleagues, we are members of SAG-AFTRA. However, journalists and broadcasters are not on strike because we are under a different contract than the actors. So, Maureen, your reaction to the fact that we are now enduring a, a double strike here, were you surprised at all? I wasn't surprised that there was a strike this year. I'm a little surprised that there's two. And I did wonder if only the Writers Guild of America would strike because they have struck before. They came close to striking in 2017. Uh, Basically, the guilds typically have a three-year deal. And so every three years, you kind of see a new um, round of negotiations. Uh, There wasn't one in 2020 because... Uh, The pandemic was raging and both um, SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America really just kind of put a pin in whatever was going on. There were some negotiations. Some things did get altered, but it wasn't really a major negotiation round for understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. The last time, however, that the Writers Guild of America went on strike was 2007-2008. And I do think that we are in an even more existentially challenging moment for creative people in Hollywood than than that strike, which lasted 100 days. And people asked me at the start of the strike, do you think that this will go 100 days? And I honestly think that this one could go a lot longer than that, because really? I do think parties are further apart this time. And they, it, it does actually really greatly affect actors and writers the most at the moment. Although I will add... Last year, um, during sort of striketober, as it were, when a lot of different labor actions were happening across the country, one of those actions was last fall, um, IATSE, another guild that you are probably familiar with as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of crew members uh, belong to IATSE in various uh, permutations. They do various jobs. And by IATSE, you mean the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. 
97 or 98% of IATSE voted to authorize a strike if their leadership wanted to call one last year. Now, that didn't happen. But this year, again, you saw strike authorization votes with SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild that were, again, in the 98, 97% realm. Right. And so... So I, I was pretty I, I talked to a lot of industry people. I did think it was very likely that there would be a strike this year. And mainly because of part of what I said a little bit ago, the the the, the seismic changes that are driving this strike. You know, the last time the Writers Guild of America struck 15 years ago or so, we were starting to hear about, you know, shows being on the Internet. And, you know, perhaps maybe sometimes the Internet would be important or some kind of <laughs> a different a different way to get your television than from your TV screen in front of a couch there. We, we were just starting to see that emerge. And frankly, thank goodness that there was some action taken around those matters at that time, because, you um, I, writers felt then if we don't start to get a handle on this, we are going to be left behind. And they were right to think that. And I actually think this strike is in some ways a continuation of that because now everything is streaming almost. Most things are coming at you from streaming platforms. And the old financial models of how people shared in the success of the industry and the, shared in the overall you know, wealth and the prosperity of what was being produced, a lot of those mo financial models that allowed for that sharing either went away or essentially had a baseball bat taken to them. So mm -hmm. there's just these seismic changes that are happening around um, TV and film that uh, absolutely are driving this strike. And I understand why actors and writers in particular really are feeling the heat in terms of many different pressures on their income. And those pressures are frankly driving their incomes, which frankly were not that lavish overall. Right. Even further down. So let's uh, let's remind folks who may not be caught up uh, of the the main issues here, the main sticking points. You talked about how both sides are, you know, they're so far apart right now. What's mm -hmm. what's driving the stakes? Because we're, we're hearing a lot about AI. We're hearing a lot about mm -hmm. residuals. Tell us more. Right. So AI is a relatively new player to the game in terms of a concern that creative people have. I would really only say it's like the last year or two that that's become more and more of a topic. And what's interesting is that this this body called the AMPTP, which I'll just call the producers, it's just easier to say, the producers are saying, well, we want to look into this. We want to see if we can essentially make this a factor in the creation of scripts or in even like directing programs for how things are produced and made on set and in pre-production and post-production. And essentially the creative people in Hollywood want guardrails around this. And I think they would like for AI to be essentially tabled for now. Uh, the producers kind of want it to be the Wild West. And there was one proposal that was floated to the Writers Guild that was like, well, we'll have a meeting once a year where we might tell you what we're doing. And that was, <laughs> if you're a writer and you think that someone wants to replace you with a program and I'm a writer, you know, this yeah. is something I think about too. That's not a good enough reassurance for people. And things began emerging on social media and elsewhere about for actors, uh, background actors or extras were being asked at many different productions to step into this truck or go into this room and your image will be scanned. And one of the proposals indeed 
that the SAG-AFTRA negotiation team uh, was telling the public about was they want to be able to scan someone, a background actor, on day one of work and then own that image in perpetuity. You know, uh, two-thirds of SAG-AFTRA earns the majority of their income, and believe me, it's not a lot of money, but the people who do earn money from SAG covered job, the majority of them are background players. These are very, very high stakes issues because mm-hmm. if there are 500 shows, there are only going to be 500 writers. You know, one writer is assisting a chat GPT to churn out the scripts and yeah. there's no writer's room anymore. And for actors, you know, a, an astonishing stat for me even if you take AI out of it, let's just say that's not even on the table anymore. Even without that, the income of most people in SAG-AFTRA is minuscule. SAG-covered jobs, if you want to qualify for their health care plan, you have to make $26,000 a year. 87% of the SAG membership does not qualify. So that's telling you 9 out of 10 actors don't even make thirty grand a year yeah, from acting. Wow. There are some people who make a lot of money. Most people in the creative industries that I talk to are not rich. And if they do have a good year or a good six months or a good two years, most of them salt as much money away as they can because they might not work for two more years. It's a very precarious industry already. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about Hollywood's double strike, the actors and the writers that have essentially shut down the film and TV industry. Our guest today is Maureen Ryan, who's author of the new book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood. All right, so I want to dig more into this residuals conversation, Mo, because once Mm -hmm. upon a time, actors could have a steady stream of income from residuals, right? And and to your point, you know, your TV show becoming syndicated, that meant you were getting checks for essentially life. That's no longer the case. I want to play what SAG president Fran Drescher said. This was right after talks fell through between the union and the studios. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what is happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? Yeah, we're seeing uh, actors on the picket line from, from some of the top streamed shows like Orange is the New Black, Gilmore Girls, and I'm hearing folks say their residual checks are sometimes like 30 cents. I heard someone else speak out on another show talking about getting 80 cents. How is that possible, Mo? Well, basically, the entire model of the industry changed. And just the the, the short version of it is for for working actors and working writers and even some working directors that I know, um, they're working a lot harder, sometimes twice as hard, scraping together three times as many gigs to make less than they made 10 years ago. So essentially, um, I'll give you one example. If you, and this would apply to an actor, it's roughly analogous to a series regular actor or someone who worked regularly in TV. Let's say that you wrote an episode of Law and Order 
and NBC put it on the TV. So now if you were in that writer's room, you were getting a weekly fee for being in the writer's room. And that writer's room would last for more than 40 weeks of the year. So for the majority of the year, you had a steady income. And then if your name was on a script, you got a separate script fee. Hooray, that's great. Goes into your bank account. Everybody's happy. Uh, the next time that NBC aired that program in a repeat, you would get another substantial five-figure check. Over the years, there's a million and one Law & Order marathons on cable, here, there, and everywhere. It's sold all over the world. So those checks would continue to roll in. Now, would you make as much five years after as you did that first year that that episode went out into the world? No, but you would still get mm -hmm. a decent amount of money. The corporation takes that piece of work, that film, that episode of TV, whatever it is, the idea for the TV, the copyright for the idea for the TV show or the film, and they own it. But you get to share in the wealth of that in some way. You get to share in how that did as it went around the world. Yeah. But we saw an article too, you know, 10 years ago this month, Orange is the New Black premiered. And a lot of those actors said they couldn't afford cab fare to and from the set. Which is and wild. It's wild. But streamers essentially... You know, I don't want to overstate. Some people maybe got great deals from streamers. Streamers paid less, and the residual structure for streaming shows is wildly out of whack with what it used to be. So, um, you know, working actors who were series regulars on TV shows, and again, would go long periods without working because it's a very precarious competitive industry. And residuals really were pennies on the dollars to the studios. We're not talking about, oh gosh, they were all bankrupted by this structure. They were not. Essentially, if you worked on the TV show 24 or Grey's Anatomy in some capacity on a somewhat regular basis, you would do okay. But since I've been covering the industry, the cost of housing in New York, LA, Vancouver, Atlanta, Toronto, all these North American production centers has gone way up. And at the same time, what you had is this pressure on residuals. And it, someone described them in my book as residuals fell off a cliff. And, you know, someone and so you might say, oh, well, that's all just the streaming shows. It's not because as mm. things are being sold on these streaming platforms and shown and enjoyed on the streaming platforms, an actor from Star Trek Discovery, which is, you know, you, you wouldn't expect that guy to be making, you know, a million dollars a year from yeah. his six on that show some years ago but he got a residual check and it was like 34 cents so the math just does not add up at all no. well disney ceo bob Iger, he recently said that the strikes are going to have a damaging economic impact he called it quote a shame uh, but i, I want to play a little bit of what actor sean gunn said when he fired back from the picket lines I think that when Bob Iger talks about uh, what a shame it is, he needs to uh, remember that in 1980, um, CEOs like him made 30 times what the worker, what their lowest worker was making. Now Bob Iger makes 400 times what his low, lowest worker is. And I think that's a shame, Bob. And maybe you should take a look in the mirror and, and what, ask yourself, why is that? And not only why is that, is it okay? Is it morally okay? Is it ethically okay that you make that much more than your lowest worker? And if so, why? Why is that okay? If your response is that that's just the way business is done now, that's just the way corporations work now, well, that sucks and that makes you a person if that's your answer. So you should come up with a better answer than that.
Wow. Yeah. I mean, how did studio execs go from making 30 times more than their lowest paid workers to 400 times more, as we heard in that clip? Well, I would actually, um, I think Sean was very eloquent in putting <laughs> forth that point of view. 400 times the lowest level worker is 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 not even in the ballpark of what David Zaslav makes. You know, in 2021, David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, made 3,600 times the lowest level Warner Brothers employee. He, wow. he made $246 million in one year. In the last five years alone, David Zaslav has made $500 million. And this is an enormous sticking point because people like Bob Iger or other executives or anonymous sources are saying, well, we, you know, the cupboard is bare. We don't have the money. These people are being paid. The, there, there have been various fact sheets going around and journalists have been, I looked into this too for my book. The minimum these people are making as CEOs is minimum 25 to $30 million a year. At Netflix, they're making over $40 million a year. There's two guys who are making quite a bit more than um, than than the, us- the, the $25 million per year average. In some years, people are making more than that, as, as per mentioned. So how long do you think we'll be in this holding pattern? Because it definitely seems like the creatives and, and, and the studios, they're playing a, a game of chicken. Who, who will outlast yeah, who? I, I agree. And I think that what you've said is more possible for the studios because, you know, they they are coming at it with the viewpoint that we have plenty of stuff, uh, you know, coming down through our pipeline, stuff that was already filmed or already made. Um, a couple productions like House of the Dragon in the UK are still going because of labor laws there that actually, you know, they it's complicated, but essentially a few productions can go forward. Most are not. But for Amazon and for Apple, you know, their content spending, it's billions, but it's also a rounding error on their overall balance sheet. They don't, it's not a core business for them. It's just, you know, it's kind of like their fun money uh, gambit, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's an extra. So that's really, to me, not only do these companies not necessarily feel that they have to come back to the bargaining table, some of these companies have the kind of deep pockets and uh, don't even have entertainment as a core business. So they might just be like, well, so so we're Apple TV, so we don't have any scripted originals coming down the pike soon. Maybe they don't care. They don't yeah. necessarily have to care. So I think it could be a pretty long strike, unfortunately. Yeah. Meanwhile, mega movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer, they're coming out on Friday. We're in the middle of this summer blockbuster season and we're seeing no red carpets and no press junkets and no yeah. late night talk show appearances, right? We're going to head into right. the fall season soon, TV season. And, and right now, from the looks of it, it doesn't look like there will be a ton of new content for viewers there as well. Uh, but I want to, while I have you, talk about your new book, Burn It Down. You discuss the exploitative practices and, and misconduct of Hollywood companies and of top executives so would you say that the issues that you write about in the book, that they're connected to what's pushed these actors to, to strike today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. You know, Hollywood, you know, as much as there may be 
some kind of image of it as this, you know, sharing circle of people who are all collaborating. You know, it can be that way and under certain conditions. But what it really is, is a series of autocracies. And quite often in those autocracies on a film set or in a production office or on a TV show, there are the haves and the have nots. And what you quite often have is people who are, you know, having to raid the power bar supply uh, at work because they literally don't have enough money for food. The younger people coming up, mm -hmm. the, the assistants and support staff and so forth. And they are constantly around people who are worth millions and who they know can end their career at any moment. And so the pressure on people on the best of days is quite intense. Some people are ready for that and they're okay with a certain amount of pressure. They still love the creative process so much that they're willing to take a lot of pressure. What they're not willing to take is, you know, not have their wages go up in 15 years while the cost of rent in Los Angeles doubled or tripled. You like that you can't, you know, Hollywood was always a place that turned a blind eye and enabled all sorts of exploitative practices, mm -hmm. whether it be long hours, um, people being, you know, physically or mentally attacked in a variety of ways. There was a lot of enabling of that behavior, and a lot of the enabling came because the working class people, the middle class people, had no recourse and had no financial cushion. And now there's even less of a financial cushion or less recourse in terms of, well, I can quit this job where I'm being abused or exploited because I have some money in the bank. People don't have money in the bank. And unless you make it an environment in which people can you know, buy food, pay for, you know, their families to, you know, live mm -hmm. and have a place to live. And that's why, th you know, things are very heated at the moment and understandably so, because if you've been facing these kinds of difficult working conditions, the kind of things that I've been reporting on in my book and for years before that, and other reporters have been, uh, you know, reporting on these incredibly diff difficult issues of conduct and professionalism and lack of respect and all right. of these things. On top of that, to see an executive say, well, we're going to let these people strike until they are homeless and they lose their houses and lose their apartments, yeah. as, a, as an industry story did a week or so ago. Everything's already at a boiling point because of the sort of routine um, and, and enabled exploitation on a number of fronts. So to see that quote, to see it on a, you know, a trade site in black and white was very inflammatory for people. And understandably so, because really the, the industry coming into this year was a powder keg. And that that story and a number of other actions mm -hmm. were like a, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess the title of my book was appropriate. It was like a match to the flame. That's true. Burn it down. Maureen Ryan is author of the new book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity and a Call for Change in Hollywood. That book is out now. You got to grab it. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Mo. Thank great. you so much for having me. Yeah, great conversation. This episode of Reset was produced by Meha Ahmed and it was edited by Ethan Schwab. Stay up on the biggest news and get analysis from experts by subscribing to the Reset podcast. We share episodes Monday through Friday with a bonus on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Talk to you tomorrow morning.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.